0: This is a special bonus edition of the Daily Signal podcast on Wednesday, May 25th. I'm Virginia Allen. The nation right now is grieving with all Texans as we remember those lives lost in the tragic school shooting there. And so many Americans are asking that question right now of how did this happen and also wanting to know how can we prevent this from ever happening again? So today I'm so pleased to sit down with Heritage Foundation visiting fellow Steve Bucci, to discuss just that, how we can prevent school shootings like this from happening in our nation ever again. I am pleased to welcome to the show Heritage Foundation visiting fellow Stephen Bucci. Steve served our country for three decades as an Army Special Forces officer and top Pentagon official. Steve, thank you so much for being here today.
1: Oh, it's my pleasure uh, to be here. I'm not a pleasure to be talking about this particular subject, but yeah. thank you for having me.
0: Yeah, no, we really appreciate your insight, Steve, at this time as really the whole nation is grieving right right alongside all the folks in Texas. And of course we grieve with every single family member who, who lost a loved one Tuesday at Robb Elementary School in Uvalde, Texas. Nineteen students were killed and two teachers lost their lives. The gunman we know is also dead, but there's a lot that we still don't know. Steve, you have served our country on the front lines in so many tragedies. What were your first thoughts when you heard the news Tuesday?
1: Well the first one was obviously, oh gosh, not again. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the 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 next one is it doesn't have to be like this. We can we can mitigate the risk of these kind of things happening. Uh, you know, I won't say that any system is perfect and is going to stop every tragic incident. But boy, we could do a better job at it than we're doing. And the, the simple tropes that you hear, well, just ban guns. And, you know, we just uh, it just some of the things are silly because they don't work. They haven't worked. Uh, that or they're already in place, and the people calling for them are are just you know chasing a political agenda and that's not what we need to do. we need to come up with good solutions
0: mm-hmm. yeah well and i'm I'm excited today that we get to talk about some of those possible solutions because everyone is asking that question right now of of how did this happen. And even more so, how do we ensure that this never happens again? You have published pieces for the Heritage Foundation on school safety, and you say that there's really four steps. There's four keys to school safety. One is preemptive response. Secondly, access control. Third, hardening classrooms. And fourth, on-site incident response. So let's talk through each of these, beginning with preemptive response. How can we act preemptively to prevent these shootings from even occurring in the first place?
1: Well, the the first thing is uh, people need to be aware of what's going on. Uh, In almost every one of these shootings, and now apparently in this one as well, there have been signals that the shooter uh, has given, mostly on social media, sometimes to friends, uh, family members, And the problem is people see these things, you know, like pictures of him with guns saying he's gonna go do a shooting. Uh, Apparently, this young man had some friends that he used to cruise around the neighborhood and shoot BB guns at people's cars or at at people walking on the street. Behavior like that is is a signal. It doesn't mean always that there's gonna be a big tragedy like this, but it's the kind of, of signal that somebody needs to respond to mm-hmm. and you cannot pass off of, oh, well, that's just Johnny blowing off steam or he really doesn't mean that. Uh, we can't say that anymore. We have to respond. We have to get authorities involved. There has to be an intervention. Uh, it's it's in the benefit of the individual who's doing that, uh, talking to the police and and sort of uh Camping one of these things down is a heck of a lot better than having a kid go and hurt other people and then generally speaking end up hurting themselves. Yeah. So we have to look for the signals and then we have to respond to them. We can no longer just hope for the best and, and leave these things in place.
0: And within that, what do you think is the role of mental health and mental health treatment?
1: Uh, it's huge. I mean, if you look at this, almost every one of these young men, because the vast majority of them are young men, uh, are troubled from a mental health standpoint. They they need help. Some of them are in counseling already. Uh, there's troubles in the home, there's a, a non standard family. Not saying that every non standard family is, is troubling, but if there's parents missing, you know, that kid is, is potentially at risk uh, if, if there's other signals there, like we see with, with the shooter in Texas. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you have to get mental health professionals involved. There should be mental health professionals available in most school systems for, for young people that are still in school. Uh, and they need to be engaged uh, in the counseling, in the working with law enforcement to decide what is the best type of intervention for this particular case
0: and you also write that access control is the second key to preventing school shootings is that mainly um, the entrances in and out of the building that you're referring to exactly
1: if you can keep the shooter out of the school uh, it it in most cases, stops most events, because that sort of foils their plan. They can't get in there to do what's there, so they just go away. But if even if they they try and do something from outside, there's a heck of a lot better protection for the individuals, in this case, the little kids that were killed, if they're in the building and the bad guy's out of the building. So we have to minimize the number of entrances to any school. You can't have every door open. You can't, you know, say, okay, everybody has to come in this door. And then on the other side of the building, somebody props open a door with a rock because they want to go back and forth to their car without having to, to utilize their key or their, their uh, door fob or something like that. Uh, it's, it's inconvenient and, and it's a pain, but in this case, prime example, this young man jumped the fence and walked into an old unlocked back door of the school. That's how we got in. Mm-hmm. And, and if you limit those points of entry, you can then place people there who can monitor that entry, uh, make sure that the person coming in is supposed to be there, make sure that the person coming in isn't carrying weapons openly or carrying bags with weapons in them, uh, and then the person who's manning that door has to be, you know, have the, the wherewithal to say, Hey, stop, please open your bag. Let me look at it. You know, if the person's wearing a big long coat in in the hot weather of, of Texas on the Southwest border in mid May, yeah, you, that's a signal you need to check that person and make sure that they're okay coming in. That is legal, uh, they're they're coming onto you know school property. They're subject to any kind of search you want to do uh, when they're carrying things, and unfortunately, that's what we need to do. And and so that is the next key. If you can keep them outside the building, it almost always makes the result much better than than if they can get in and start to do mischief.
0: Yeah, yeah. No, that's so true. And ultimately, that is what we want to make sure that these school shooters can never get access inside the building. But in those cases where they do, you discuss the importance of, of hardening classrooms or securing classrooms. Talk a little bit about that and the importance of that for school safety.
1: Sure. Well, that has to do with lockdowns. You know, once there's a... a indicator that a person with malintent is in the building. There needs to be some kind of signal that can go out over the intercom. uh, However, the school wants to do it. The intercom is probably the best way to do it, but something that says immediately lockdown. And uh, there's all sorts of ways to do that. But here that means grabbing the kids, get them into the classroom, lock the doors uh, for instance, in, in the school uh, where my grandkids go, the doors are always locked, but there's a magnet that blocks the door from closing all the way under normal circumstances. So all the teacher has to do is grab that little magnet off the door frame; the door closes all the way and locks. Hmm. Next, they need to cover the windows that are in most school classroom doors. Uh, We have the windows there so that people can see in, so nobody can do anything bad inside the classroom unobserved. But you don't want a a perpetrator looking in there to see that there's targets. So that window needs to be covered. Mm -hmm. Uh, Many schools today have installed additional barricade like devices that make the door even more secure. So it's not just the lock on the doorknob, but there's some sort of bolt that can be thrown, uh, a piece of metal that can go into the door and the floor, something like that that keeps uh, makes the door even stronger than it would be otherwise. Okay, so you do that, the door is secured. Next, you need to get the children into the best place in the classroom to protect them from random shooting. Uh, And and I I can't tell you where that is because it's different in every classroom. But the teachers who operate in their their own classrooms need to have made that determination before this thing happens that, okay over in this corner, you know, because of the, the lockers on the wall or the construction of that particular wall, that's the safest place for them to be. You get the kids to that position, you get them calmed down, quiet you ensure that there's no cell phones being used because you don't want to make noise because the object of this whole purpose is the bad guy comes to the door, tries it, sees that he can't open it, can't see in. So he doesn't know if there are any potential targets in there. He can't hear anything. And then that person in most cases will just move on. Mm -hmm. Uh, these, These shooters are not you know, trained breaching teams like we have in the military or in law enforcement. So if they get that amount of resistance and they get no feedback that there's a target, they will usually move on. And that's kind of what we want them to do. And there's one more step on that, though. Uh, Inside the classroom, there should be some sort of last ditch weapon that the teacher can deploy if a person does, in fact, breach the door uh, something that, that is useful, uh, if, a, if a school allows teachers to be armed, that's fine. Uh, if uh, we found a useful thing is something like bear spray or wasp spray mm-hmm. that, you know, you can shoot a distance and see it without any particular skill. Uh, wasp spray is a neurotoxin. That's why it kills the bugs. If somebody's trying to come in that classroom to hurt those kids, as they're coming in the door, if you spray that at them and hit them in the face, they're not going to be shooting anybody for a few minutes. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that can then give that teacher as a last ditch thing. I'm not saying go chase the guy down with this stuff, but if they're coming in the door, that's a good last ditch uh, defensive tool to try and, and protect the children that are in
0: the room. Yeah. well. Wow. And then, when it comes to to the response on on the ground, what what are those um, responses that schools should have in place to be ready to respond directly to that active shooter um, if it if it comes to a point where a shooter is in the building and, and and is on the move?
1: Uh, this this is probably the most controversial part of my my four points, uh, but. We have found that the faster somebody responds directly to the shooter, the sooner the carnage stops or hopefully doesn't even start. Uh, Law enforcement will try and get to the school as quickly as they can once they get that 911 call. So this is not a criticism of the police in any way, shape or form. They just can't fly yet. Uh, so it's, there's going to be at least a couple of minute delay uh, in, in almost all of these situations. Uh, sometimes just locking down is sufficient, but often you have to respond directly to that person with what you have in hand. Some schools have uh, school resource officers. They're law enforcement officers assigned to that school. They would respond. Some schools have allowed teachers who have voluntarily said, I am ready and you know mentally to do this. I've had training. I have a concealed carry permit for a, a weapon. Uh, I'm willing to be part of that response team, and they use that. Others use volunteers, parents or people from the community who are willing to give their time uh, to do that. Generally speaking, it's preferable if those folks have had some degree of training, either a military law enforcement background. Uh, They've been through courses for this sort of thing and they need to be screened. They need to be, you know, you need to pick the right people to do this and then have them in place uh, or have them available. And so you can have people on your staff, on your faculty or extras added in. If you have enough money, Uh, In your school district, it's a private school that's well endowed. You can hire higher end security people to do this sort of work as well. I know there are schools in Florida, for instance, parochial schools who hire former SEAL Team 6 or or Delta operators to do this kind of protection. Uh, That's pretty pricey and way out out of reach for most schools. But you have to have somebody there who can engage the shooter directly and quickly. And in most cases, at the very least, the shooter is distracted and stops trying to look for children to be targets and has to defend themselves. Uh, But it's uh, in many cases, it ends the incident right there. Mm -hmm. Uh, And we've seen that several times. There was one in in Maryland uh, where a, a school resource officer came in immediately engaged the shooter uh, and took them down. Uh, it, it's the best way to respond uh, until law enforcement gets there. Once law enforcement arrives, all of those assets need to stand down and let law enforcement deal with it. But in that couple of minute interval between when you discover it and when the law enforcement arrive, I've my study of it, my analysis of these other shootings, it's almost always best to have somebody on site who can respond immediately with force, directly at the shooter. uh, And that will most cases bring the thing to an end.
0: Yeah, yeah. Steve, thank you. You know, you have been on the front lines of, of so many tragedies in our country through your work in the military and at the Pentagon. Right now, walk us through a little bit of what is happening on the ground with law enforcement and officials in New Valley, Texas. What are, they, what are they looking for today? How is this investigation starting?
1: Well, there's, there's several parts to it. The first part is the physical processing of the actual scene at the school. In this case, at the, the shooter's home where he wounded his grandmother uh, the the car that he used to go from his home towards the school uh, where police first encountered him, they were moving to him because the grandmother had called despite being badly wounded and said, hey, you know, my grandson just shot me and and he went in this direction. This is what he's driving. Uh, so they, they have to process the vehicle, the, the home, the school itself. And determine all of the details of the shooting, how he got in, what he did when he got there, which way he went. All of those become part of the criminal case and the investigation. At the same time, there's a whole extra set of police and law enforcement who are crawling all over every bit of social media that this young man was involved in. All of his devices, anything else they can find, contacting friends. or or acquaintances that may have gotten some sort of clue, trying to put together what were the motives behind this, you know, how did he plan it, where did he get the stuff that he used to do it, all of those pieces there. That brings in the federal uh, law enforcement authorities, you know, like the ATF. Uh, and others who help with tracking down the the weapons and where they came from were they legitimately acquired which in this case it appears they were uh, and so they're doing all that all this is happening simultaneously mm-hmm. everybody is is going a hundred miles. focus and and uh, determination to get to the bottom of it to put all of these pieces together to to make a decision as to what you know what was missed, what should have been done differently, all that process is is now going full steam. That's why it's not always helpful when politicians and this is politicians of all stripe, you know, come in or the news people come in and start speculating or uh, you know opining about this and and it's just. It takes law enforcement a little while to, to do it because they want to do it right mm-hmm. and they want to do it accurately. Mm-hmm. And we need to give them that space to do it uh, in this case.
0: Yeah. Steve, last question before we let you go. What do you think the role of the president is right now in this situation? Uh,
1: the situation? The president is supposed to be, in this case, sort of the comforter in chief. He is, is supposed to be trying to help these folks uh, get through this, help that community, that state. Uh, and the nation at large, to, to process and understand this. Uh, you know, I, I, President Biden started down that road uh, with his remarks last night, but very quickly detoured and straight up into politics because he thinks in his head there's a certain set of solutions for this, which he thinks are totally frustrated by the gun lobby when they're actually— frustrated by the Constitution and, and about half of the country uh, and I'm sorry to disagree with the president but his solutions would not help uh, and they're they're based on on emotion and particular political positions uh, and we need we I agree with them we need to do something but we need to help schools implement things like we just talked about and not sit there and try and make sweeping, uh, rules that are not really going to have any effect other than to curtail the, the rights of legitimate citizens who haven't broken any laws and haven't done anything wrong. Uh, and, and using fake statistics, which he does pretty regularly, uh, and, and other things saying, well, statistics show this. And it's like, no, they don't. Mm-hmm. You know, his claim about the, the uh, assault rifle ban that he helped craft when he was a senator... Uh, it didn't change mass shootings at all. Uh, and it's, you know, they, they say things like that. But when you actually look at the statistics, it's not true. Yeah. Uh, I would recommend anybody listening uh, to go to my her heritage colleague, Amy Schwerer, uh, has written a ton of stuff, scholarly, you know, documented analysis of, of the studies that are out there and the statistics Read her stuff and you'll get the straight scoop on it. The politicians and the pundits on the news, they haven't done their homework. They, they're just following their script. And that's not going to help the country or any of these situations.
0: Yeah. Heritage Foundation visiting fellow Stephen Bucci. You can find his work at Heritage.org. Steve, thank you so much for your time today. We really appreciate you coming on.
1: It's my pleasure. Thank you for having me.
0: Thank you so much for listening to this bonus edition of the Daily Signal podcast. If you have not done so already, please take a minute to subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, wherever you listen, and take a minute to leave us a review and a five-star rating. It means a lot to us and helps us spread the word to more listeners. We will be back with you in the morning for our regular edition of the Daily Signal podcast.
1: The Daily Signal podcast is brought to you by more than half a million members of the Heritage Foundation. The executive producers are Rob Bluey and Kate Trinko. Producers are Virginia Allen and Doug Blair. Sound designed by Lauren Evans, Mark Guiney, and John Pop. For more information, please visit dailysignal.com.